Have you found yourself questioning what it takes to make it in the music industry? Does it feel like there is some secret that successful producers know that you don't? This is the Modern Producer Secrets Podcast, the first music industry podcast for creatives who want to reach beyond the side hustle, where we show you how to apply the principles of business, mindset, and personal development to create real, sustainable success from the inside out. All right, so this episode is going to be a little bit different. We're looking at musicians and artists in particular. There's a lot of overlap, though, between what a producer does and how artist brands and musician brands work. There are some nuanced differences, but for the most part, it really helps to know how each of these roles fits in the music industry. And so today I had an interview with a good friend of mine. We caught up and it felt like old times. We were chatting about you know stuff we've both been through and there are quite a few things where I felt like we overlapped in terms of our journey. And so we're going to dive in on the personal and the professional side, but we're going to hear from an industry musician in the metal industry of all things that has had these pivots in his life and is seeing some success because of it. And there's one very special thing about how he pivoted and how he's using his life experience and also what he's learned along the way recently uh, that opened his eyes and is now using that to help share and enrich the lives of other musicians and artists. So without further ado, here's that interview. All right. Welcome back, everybody, boys and girls, whether it's morning, evening or afternoon. I don't know where you are, but welcome back to the podcast. Um, today, I have a very special guest with me. Jared Christensen. I actually, we go way back. Um, I think the first time that I ran into you, you were working on uh, releasing this. The, was that the junior album for Archaic? Or was it a music on, video? I think, yeah. 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 That Man, those were, those were some fun times. <laughs> yeah. Back, uh, I think I met you in Modesto through like Liam. Yeah, that whole production crew. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to film like a YouTube TV show. <laughs> yeah, I I think they actually kicked it off or they started kicking off some stuff recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they're actually doing some video production stuff now. They're 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 rolling out a series. So, Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> so, uh for those of you who don't know, Jared is the frontman of Archaic, is that right? Mhm. Yeah, and um, you also do a lot. So for a long time, you've been an artist, but there's also a lot that I'd love to get into uh, with you later. And we're going to talk about um, a company you've started working for called Modern Musician. And um, there's just a lot to unpack here. You've had quite a journey as an artist, uh, a lot of ups and downs, trials and tribulations. And you've even had some, you know, uh, experience working on the label side of things, or at least lurking, working with a label. Uh, through Archaic. And um, I'd love to ask you questions about that stuff today. So let's just start, you know, like in the early years, what was it like um, when when you either found it or like, you know, Archaic was still forming? Yeah. So this is 2004. Um, when I was in high school, I was a junior and my best friend, uh, Chance, who I think you've met as well. Yes. Yeah, so we were best buds, guitar brothers. We'd play guitar together and stuff. And we wanted to start a band because we were just, we were both musicians and we were friends. And um, we thought it'd be cool to jam together and get some more people. 
Um, so we kind of looked around at our high school to figure out like, is there anybody who could play drums or bass? Cause we were both guitar players. So we needed like a singer and a drummer and a bass player. And so we kind of just took, uh, we, we found some people from our high school and like, we were just starting. So as long as they had a drum set, like, okay, that's all you needed to qualify. <laughs> play bass. Okay. You, you know, you're in. Um, so we like started a high school band and started playing like local shows and kind of did the high school band thing. And, uh, it did pretty good. Like locally, like we started to open up for some bigger bands and around the time I got out of high school, um, I had switched to playing drums for the band because we couldn't really lock down like the drum, the the dream drummer that we wanted. And so I was just like, I'm just going to learn drums then. Cause I had played drums a lot when our drummer wouldn't show up to practice. I'd just play his drum set and I was like, this is super fun. Like I really like playing drums. So like I bought a drum set with my graduation money and I was like, all right, I'm going to, we don't need to worry about a drummer now. Like guitar players are easier, easier to find. And, (laughs) um, and we can find somebody to like scream cause we're like a metal band and stuff. So, um, that was like the plan for a little bit. And then, uh, we couldn't really find a singer that we thought it'd be singer would be the easiest one to find. <laughs> that's a lot tougher than it sounds like it is like, Oh, I just scream into the mic. No, that's actually, that's a lot of work. Yeah. And it was just like, it, we just couldn't find, um, there's nobody that like really did it, I guess. There's, mm. And so we actually ended up running into another drummer and we're like, all right, you're better than me. You can play drums and I'll just go back to singing <laughs> and, uh, like from guitar to drums to vocals and, um, yeah, we'd put out some demos, like, uh, just like recorded every couple of years to get some stuff down and, uh, eventually met a guy named Obi, um, Obi Flett who worked for, or he was helping out unique leader, which was the record label that we ended up, um, signing to first. Oh, okay. And so he was kind of our connection. We were playing a show in LA, a festival, and he was working the unique leader booth and we connected with them, um, kind of just got along and then showed them our music and we were actually playing. So we're like, come check us out. Like we want to be on unique leader. Um, nice. and he checked out our set and then kind of gave the, uh, told, uh, Eric at the label to, um, to check us out and kind of, wow. that was our, that was our into kind of stepping up to the, to a, a higher level, like, and being like, we always wanted to be signed. Like this was 2008, 2009. And we were like, that was a big goal of ours. <laughs> yep. I remember. Yeah. And like, this is one of our favorite labels too. So it was like, how could we turn it down? We were like ecstatic. We, we sent in a couple demos and like, he told us that they needed work. And so we went back and to the drawing board and like, okay, well he gave us these, these tips and stuff. And recorded a new demo and then eventually he was like okay this is i'm digging it um i'll offer you a deal <laughs> and so that's kind of how we we played local shows and then um in 2009 we got signed to unique leader records wow so tell me what it was like um at least for you like was there like hey i'm i'm all in on this lifestyle were you like hardcore like i'm an artist or i'm a musician um or was it something where like you know i I, we were just like taking off. They just took off faster than you expect. And you're just like riding the wave. 
Yeah, like I did consider myself like I was I was very singularly focused on being a musician, playing shows as much as possible. I loved just jamming with other people. Um like I had a I had created like a side project as well, like just playing drums and stuff. And so I was like, whatever kind of music it was, I was like always looking to play with other people. Nice. So that, that really was your passion. Like you've, you're like, you know what, in my life, I know what my passion is. Like I'm for sure. This is the way it's gotta be. Yeah. Like up in high school is where it, where it switched before that. I didn't really have, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. Like I dabbled, I started playing guitar really young when I was in like fourth grade, fifth grade, getting lessons and stuff. And so I was like, I do like playing the guitar. It's fun. Um, But I also like skateboarded and wakeboarded and uh, (laughs) rode motocross and stuff. And I was like into extreme sports. And part of me was like, wanted to go that route and kind of go like into professional extreme sports or something. (laughs) That's quite the dichotomy. (laughs) It is. Well, now I play extreme metal. So it's like kind of the extreme sports version of, <laughs> uh, of music. But it was around high school when that switched. And I was like, I was just, I broke my leg, like riding Ugh. a motorcycle and stuff. And I was like, I'm just going to get really hurt. Or <laughs> I'm, you know, like it was so competitive too. And I was like, I don't really want to compete like that. Like, it's kind of fun, like to ha- be on like a team or you know, and a band was like the team version for me. So after starting the band, it was like, oh, I've, this is like what I love to do. I just want to keep doing this and take it yeah. as far as I can take it. How did so when you when you started involving these other um, members of the band, was the writing process very collaborative for you or was it just kind of like free flowing? Everybody's kind of just contributing the ideas or were you kind of taking the lead on that, too? I always like wasn't the like the main leader, like I would contribute ideas and I still, I still do that. So I'm pretty like, like I let other people kind of fill space where they want to and where their like talents shine and stuff. And then I kind of figure out where I fit into it. Mm -hmm. But I'm always like, I'm not the one that's like not sharing ideas. I'm always, I'm always coming up with like ideas. Um, But there wasn't like, for archaic, there's never been like a singularly, um, like a just the one. Like some bands have just like one guy who writes everything, or yeah. there's like the main kind of spear uh, um, spearhead of the project. But for us, we've always wanted to have it collaborative and kind of lean into that more because I feel like it makes it more multi-dimensional. Yeah. Like when you have one person writing everything, it's like their dimension, like their idea, like their brain, brain kind of putting everything into it. But when you include other people and they're in, in a, like a harmonious way, it can really add a whole bunch of like unexpected sort of. Yeah. That's where the magic happens. Like the same, uh, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts or something like that, you know, where you guys have the innate ability like, Hey, I didn't think of that. That's a really cool idea. Now that inspired you to like kind of springboard off of that idea. And now, you know, you, you've sparked something entirely new that you would have never thought of in isolation. Yeah. It's really good. So when you actually approached the label or did the label approach you, who, who approached you? 
Uh, we approached the label first. Mm-hmm. Like we reached out to them. I think it was just via email. Um, sent him a demo. I think, I actually think that Obi might have gave them the demo that we had had that time. We had had physical like burn CDs. I remember those days. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> and I think he gave it to Eric because at the time they lived close to each other. Okay. But we were the ones who reached out and we had them on our radar. And we're like, at the time, they were the premier technical death metal label, West Coast. Like, um, they had some really like pioneer bands on the label and like they were worldwide or world renowned for this certain type of extreme, technical, brutal kind of metal that, that they put out. It was a certain flavor. And, um, and they also signed some bands that were in the, in Europe and stuff and got there. The label owner was really good at finding talent for this particular style of music and, and putting it out there. So he, like, he did a lot for the, the genre itself just by giving the bands a platform via the label and then distributing their album, helping fund the album, those kind of things. So would would you say like the on that was there an advance like did they help fund it that way or is it just like hey um, here's what we're thinking of recording here's where we think you know who we're thinking of like going to get it mixed and they just kind of like fronted the bill um, how did that how did that work out for you guys at the start yeah the the contract he it was a pretty standard contract that he would offer most bands and it was usually around the same amount of advance um, for like first signing. So if you, if it's your debut album, um, they were going to give you like X amount and it wasn't much. Like it was maybe like $4,000, four or Mm -hmm. $5,000. That was your allotted to create, like to get the recording done and the artwork. And then they would take care of the packaging, like putting it together and getting it, um, distributed and stuff. But yeah, that it was like, you know, it was just enough to cover the cost of recording. Yeah, that and that <laughs> I remember talking to you about this in the past and we've even I've even featured you on an article um that I've had on my website talking about some of the trials and tribulations of, you know, dealing with labels in this respect because it's especially when you are a touring band um and you have production costs, you have travel costs, you have lodging costs, you've got to feed four or five people let alone like if you have, you know, roadies that are helping you or if, you know, that's, that's more people that you have to take care of too. Uh, that just expands the budget a whole lot. And by this time, I think metal was kind of like, it wasn't really the mainstream, you know, genre that was like kicking ass, you know, like it was more of a niche thing, especially when you're dealing in a, um, subgenre, a very specific niche within a niche. Uh, it just, it, it really makes things tough when you have a label that is either treating you small time or they themselves just don't have the resources to float your way to be able to do proper, proper marketing or cover an actual, you know, decent production budget. Yeah, totally. It was it like, there are good things about a label and like, there are good 
good things that came out of the contracts that we signed with Unique Leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also really bad things too. So like, I didn't know at that time, I was like maybe like 23 or something. I didn't know what, like how rights and royalties and that kind of stuff worked. I didn't know anything. I was just like, okay, cool. You're going to pay for us to make an album. We are just a bunch of broke like <laughs> kids and like any money was like, what? Okay, cool. We'll go, we'll go do that. And, um, but like, you know, those, one of the worst things is when the label owns the master copies, you know, indefinitely and there's no reversion clause. Mm-hmm. So that was the case yep. with, with us. And that was like, that's the one that's the sourest yeah. thing. I think that's why labels have gotten the bad rap that they do. And it's part it's, and it's not, I'm not saying this, that all labels that do these clauses are inherently evil or they're bad or there's, you know, is there bad business practices, but it does take equal understanding from both parties. Like, Hey, when there's a contract involved, do you actually know what's in your contract? And that's, that's a hard thing to, to like learn. You, if, if you've been approached, you know, that young by a label, and you're like, oh, hey, here's here's five grand. What? Five grand for for an album? Okay, well, yeah, we'll we'll bust it out. And then you don't even do the the math to like, okay, well, we just shelled out twelve hundred bucks to record twelve songs in two days. Like we just you know hammered it out of the studio twelve hours across you know each day or whatever it took. Like insane. Like you're not even tracking anything. Well, how do you know where your money is going? Next thing you know, that five grand spent. And you haven't even released the album yet. <laughs> um, it it those kind of things. Those are life lessons. And I know you and I have kind of shared, um, at least from from what I've heard. It, it feels like we've kind of had similar trajectories in our lives. So coming up to where um, you moved to Santa Cruz, I know you kind of like you've had some life changes where you've kind of moved in that direction. You can see me. I've been moving that direction too. You know, I'm, I'm pursuing a bachelor's degree in IT as I get my life together. But boy, what a year it's been! And I know for you and um, for for the life that you've led, has what what changed? I, I know somewhere along the way, right as I was moving out here and and learning about you know life insurance and and kind of dabbling in some other things just to get my feet wet in this new new world, so to speak. Um, you had found modern musicians. So what, how did that come into play? Where, where did you meet them? Yeah. So it was about, I think it was 2018 that I, um, I discovered modern musician, um, somehow on like Facebook or something. And I was like, Oh, this is like, it it was basically a, a free webinar. And I'm always like, I'm very open-minded when it comes to like learning and, and like, I like to learn new things. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, let me check this out. It was called, um, like the tour hacking workshop and, you know, and it's a very like catchy kind of like thing. Oh, tour hacking. Let me check this out. Kind of sparks curiosity. And that's coming from you after having years doing tours. Didn't you even, had you toured internationally by this point or no? Yeah. Just to Canada. We had our first European tour was um, scheduled for last year. And that, yeah, I, I imagine that got canceled. Ugh. But I had already been touring and I, I really like, 
um, I was just curious, like, I was just like, what's this, what's this all about? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's where I met Michael Walker who had just started this online business. And it's basic, like at the time it was basically a consulting like gig, like yeah. um, consulting company. And okay. so he's a really smart guy. Um, very experienced in the music industry. Um, and like, I, I could tell that like, there's like, he'd be a good person to connect with. And, and at the time I was really getting into like business kind of stuff because I had already had this total shift that came a couple years before that mm. about, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like the label's not going to do everything. Like you actually do need to be involved, especially with the, in, an independent label. Like, you know, if you're, if you make this great album, um, and nobody hears it, like, then what's, what's the point, right? Yeah. Like if you, it, marketing is so important because it's like, you can spend a lot of money on an album and you can have great music, but if no, if you can't get it in front of the right people, then, uh, you can't like grow or like that. That's, that's the marketing part. And I was never, I was always like, for so many years, I was like, not like I was allergic to words like marketing and business and stuff. <laughs> I was just like, I just want to, you know, travel and, you know, just play shows and get in the van and like, just do the fun stuff. And somebody will someday come along and say, Hey, like you guys, let me help you out here out of the goodness of my heart and take you to the next level. Like that person yeah. never really comes like, and if they do, you, ha- you've had to already do so much on your own that you're now like attractive to s- somebody who's like really got connections and mm-hmm. music business is all, all about connections. So I was like, I had read Ari Herstan's how to make it in the new music business book. And I, I, the, this was like during the time where I was learning, oh, wait, so, okay, so you borrow the money from the label and then they keep 80% of the profit and you get 20, that's your royalty rate. And with the money that, that you borrowed, you pay that back to them with your 20%. So it's so hard to pay it off. And then I was like, oh, and then they get like, I can't print vinyl, like a hundred vinyl of this album. Like I have to go through them. I have to buy the albums from them for $11 mm-hmm. a pop. With your own money. My own money. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this, but, but they make them for, you know, super cheap or CDs and stuff. Like it's super cheap to reproduce them. But if you don't have, if you don't own the rights to, to uh, do that, then yeah, like even if it's your band, you can't. Yeah, you don't own the rights to your own sound recording. <laughs> yeah, so that was so I was like, oh man, like I was kind of bummed out, but I was also kind of empowered to like learn. Okay, well, I now it's I took like, you know, had my pity party, and then I uh, I was like, all right, I'm gonna learn as much as I can about the music business. I'm gonna like try to get as much free information as I can. I'm gonna kind of seek out mentors and I'm going to like really like start treating it like a business or try to be like, I didn't even know like that that wasn't me. I was like, what, how do I like become a business person? Like, yeah, I need to protect myself. I need to figure out how this thing actually makes an income. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I went through the same thing. And how do I like put an album out and not like bust? Like as far as like, 
I have these expectations and then you put it out and like the fans that do already know about you, they're like, this is awesome. Right. Like usually the, the people who do like our band, like the stuff that we put out, but it just never like, because the lack of marketing in, in the last few releases, um, was the way it was. It was like, you know, I was just like kind of bummed out and I was like, I need to learn how to do this myself. Yeah. And, and that's kind that's, of where Modern Musician came in. Okay. Yeah. And I know, so just for a couple of them, there's um, a, a saying I've heard a long time in the business industry. And it said, this is coming from like CEO exec type people. And it's like, you know, marketing is too important to leave to the marketing department. And I feel like, you know, artists and musicians kind of have that same, you know, they're sold that same dream. Like you brought up before it's, you know, I just, I just want to go play shows and, and, get on stage and do the things that I love. I shouldn't have to do the business part. We'll leave that to the label. That's what the label's for. But then you realize, Oh crap. I'm the one in control of this brand. If I relinquish control of this, they don't, they're not steering it the way I want. I need to take control of this ship. And so it sounds like you kind of like awoke to that realization. Like, Oh crap. I I need to be more in control of how this brand is being driven. And um, yeah, that it was just funny that you brought it up that way. And I've heard that a couple of times from other friends too, in the, in the industry that um, have gone through similar things, just like you said, and they've, they've suffered those same pitfalls as well. And it's not anything in particular that the music industry just like is out there purposely trying to perpetuate. It just, it's a self self-fulfilling prophecy. It just kind of like perpetuates itself because unfortunately society is starts off uneducated and only those in the industry who have the experience and knowledge have to do due diligence and try to educate those coming into the industry. But we don't, we don't have that same structure that other industries do. You look at tech industry, you look at uh, finance industry, all those are heavily regulated but there's a reason those regulations and standards have come about because they realize like, Hey, if we come together in unity and, and agree uh, that things should be run this way, or a business needs to have this and this and this to, in order to call itself a business, we don't have that in the music industry. The music industry is still pretty much the wild West. So you have to define your music business for yourself. Even if you are like working with a label, the label is still its own entity. You as a brand, you, your, your music, your artistry, that identity is its own thing. And if you relinquish control of that, well, who else is driving it? (laughs) Yeah. I don't think you could have said it any better. Like that is exactly what's happening. Yeah. And kind of, yeah, I was realizing that, okay, yeah, I really got to get at the helm and I got to create a roadmap and Mm. I got to like, yeah, just get, get things together. And like I rebranded the the logo and I've done a lot of stuff in the last few years that I'm really proud of. And our last single like did a lot better. It was just one song, but we like, we released it almost like an album and like it got, because there's more like, there's more of just a conscious effort, effort towards promoting it. Mm-hmm and having different tools and stuff to be able to do it it did a lot better than like any of our other stuff and it was just like one song wow that's awesome so it sounds to me like 
you know, coming out of the touring thing that modern musician kind of like tipped you off to, right? Like that was your first foray into discovering what modern musician was offering. Um, what, what is it, um, now, like, obviously it's tailored towards musicians. Um, how, how does it help musicians kind of like get a leg up in the industry and, and like you said, move into and shift into that, that position of ownership? Um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely evolved a lot in the last couple of years from it just being one, one guy to being a few people to being, I th- now I think we have like 28 or 30 people on the team. Wow. And so we've, ex- we've grown a lot, especially in the last year. Cause what are you going to do if you can't play shows? Like you might as well like go back to school and kind of learn some stuff and figure out how do I crack the code to, do some, you know, leverage online. So what we really do is we, we focus on leveraging different tools, um, both ads and automation in order to reach new people, but do it in a way that's profitable. And that's like one-to-one and you're building a fan base. You're Mm -hmm. not, we don't necessarily focus on streams. We will, we do have like, you know, we touch on that, Mm -hmm. um, but we're really a, a fan forward sort of um, approach to building that like thousand true fans model. And then also like it. building, setting the foundations for like, okay, you are a business now. Like, what are your offers? What are you offering at what levels? We introduce a value ladder to them, you know, for the first time. I remember when I discovered a value ladder, I was like, wow, this is game changing. Like, what the heck? And if you don't know what a value ladder is, just Google it. Just Google value ladder and you'll see a, an image, you know, that will explain what it is. Um, but essentially we try to cover the foundations and, and teach artists how to, like, we really believe that artists are like entrepreneurs. And so it's kind of like tailored in a way that's like very entrepreneurial and, um, and we, we really leverage systems and automation. Nice. We got templates and stuff and stuff that we've built that's like really cool. And you just plug it all together and it's based, you basically have like a automatic, um, fan acquisition system that kind of runs all the time. Nice. So it sounds like you guys have kind of cracked the code in terms of like, if you look elsewhere, if you look at fast food industry and they have turnkey franchise solutions, all this stuff. But those are basically like, hey, here's a template for how to run a business. It's your business. You're the owner of it. You're still responsible for some things. But for this fee, like this this franchise fee, it's kind of like paying a royalty. Um, the the company I gets you know a kickback for their template basically. But you know it's just the quickest way to just set up shop and and start building a successful business like from from ground you know zero. In you guys have kind of looked at what works and what doesn't and saying, you know, these are the things that musicians or artists are missing in trying to build a business out of their brand and kind of like bringing it to them in this fashion. Like, Hey, it's a, it's coaching, it's mentorship. It's, it's all these things. It's might be seminars or webinars. What, what kind of format do you guys have it? Is it one specific one or is it a culmination of all of those? It's, it's a combo kind of, um, deal. And what we aren't is an agency, right? And mm-hmm. we're not a PR company. We, we don't fish for you. We, we teach you how to fish, but we sit on the dock and fish with you. 
Exactly. But basically, it's uh, a three-month program, um, and it's both one-on-one coaching, weekly one-on-one coaching, and then it's group coaching all out, all throughout the week, and then it's a, a course. And a, and so there's a mo- there's modules, and there's like it's a very linear thing. So we take you through building everything out. We build it with you. We do the coaches do a lot of the heavy lifting and show you like, okay, here's the tool. We're gonna put this together. We're going to help you put it together. Here's how it works and kind of just giving that to them. So at the end of the three months, like it, usually they have a big transformation just personally and as mm-hmm. an artist, cause we dig into artist identity and branding at first and then we move. So it's like, it's this really structured sort of beginning to end like transformation. That's awesome. Yeah. And at the end, like, it's amazing. Like the the results that we like see every time, you know, we've got like a private Facebook group and we've got, um, every Friday we post like something that we're like wins or gratitudes. We're really big on like gratitude and, and kind of cultivating gratitude to, <laughs> to like make it as an artist. Cause like it's easy to get down in the funk and it's easy to forget why you're doing it. And so we try to instill like certain mindset habits and, and, um, so we start there. That's awesome. So I know that's a lot of the, what we do in the Music Producers Alliance too. And we're, we're kind of focused on a different market segment where it's like producers. And that model, the business model that producers have is going to be quite a bit different than that of the musician or the artist. So, But there is a lot of crossover because you have personal experience, you know, being an artist and a musician for a lot of your life. But you also dabble in being a producer because I know you have some side projects where where are you at now like what are you doing with in, inside of the modern musician where where's your role yeah so i'm a team leader for a department we call fan magnet we've got all mm-hmm. our own kind of terminology and um <laughs> basically what what that is like the marketing side so getting okay. in front of people using paid um strategies to uh get people to ask to listen to your music like we've we've really cracked the code on that. So I, I teach people kind of how to, um, or I teach our clients how to use, um, Facebook and Instagram ads in order to reach more people. And then we bring them in through a funnel and, um, then we have a lot of automation from there. So it's really, it's like, it's not streams. Like what's easier monetize or what's, what's more valuable monetizing a stream or a true fan that a person that, you know, definitely. I, I love that distinction too, because I've um just listened to a podcast, um the uh what oh crap, I forgot their oh, the six figure creatives, because they rebranded. That's why. <laughs> they were a six figure home studio, now that's six figure creative. But they were talking about that the difference between trying to sell your services and then trying to find the value and you know, just offer the most value to what is going to appeal to that particular market segment. So if you're talking about an audio engineer, for example, um, the audio engineer, if all I'm trying to do is like try to, you know, get the sale and just, Hey, I just want to do engineering jobs. You're missing out a whole other opportunity. Cause what if that particular client needs marketing services or they, they don't just need engineering. They need help with production or they need help with, you know, trying to craft a better composed and, and, arranged song you have an opportunity to step up with whatever your strengths are and differentiate differentiate yourself in the market by creating that unique value proposition and the value isn't in 
hey, here's my service. It's how can I help you best? And I think you guys are tapping into that wholesale, it sounds like. Like in every aspect, you're kind of looking at what those talents and the unique structure of that person and individual's gift is and allowing them to bring that to the table so that they can then uncover that for themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's the that's the goal. And I on top of the one on one coaching that I do, um, I also run or I produce the podcast for um, Modern Musician. Nice. <laughs> and then I've also got we've also got another private community um, called Music Mentor. And okay. so that's like kind of uh, it's less intense as our, our three month um, Gold Artist Academy. But um, it's also like a great place for uh, artists to like connect with each other. And then we do um, like live coaching every week, um, like group coaching. And we bring on people like you, like I'd love to have you come talk to our community about like production or something like that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So I've got my hands full, like when it comes to modern <laughs> musician. Yeah, I think they, they definitely gave you a full time position. It sounds like <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm definitely open to doing that type of, that type of stuff. And I think just between our communities alone, but, you know, uh, music producers Alliance and modern musician, there's a lot of overlap because there's a lot of synergy between understanding what a producer's role is and how artists can benefit from, you know, maybe expanding their horizons into doing some, you know, producing work and helping others. There's, there's been times where, you know, artists will, have a product, you know, producer on the project that is also an artist by trade too. Like they're, they're actually helping them in a, in many ways. So there's a lot of overlap and a lot of synergy involved there. And I think everybody would benefit for sure. Um, so I do have some, a few extra questions left. It's more like the personal side banter stuff, but uh, I know f- you've done, like I brought it up before uh, you have side projects. You're starting to dabble a little bit with like trying to find a cool sound and EDM and you've got this background, amazing background in metal. And if there's a way that you can fuse the two and kind of create something that's very unique, um, you've definitely shown me some, some seeds of those ideas coming about. And I'd be curious to see where those, um, those are at now, but where do you like, what do you do to keep creativity flowing, especially for as long as you've been in this industry? Yeah, so one is just always collaborating with my band members and and writing stuff and they're just riff machines. So <laughs> I've got, you know, an endless uh waterfall of riffs to create songs from and when it comes to archaic a lot of what I do is help like structure the song and make mm-hmm. it for the vocalist make it make sense and um where are the hooks? Like <laughs> I'm like the hook doctor for for uh, all of our songs. I'm like, okay, that's good, but it doesn't have the hook or we haven't identified it yet and, and like moved it, you know? Um, so I do, I do a lot of like that takes up a lot of time. And I, and those are always, every time we make an, an album, it's a really intense, like um, focus on, on just that. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple years since we've been writing this album. Mm-hmm. That's, already finished and and uh, mastered and everything and we've got the artwork that's awesome don't have a release date yet but it's gonna there's gonna be a single coming out soon and we've got a tour coming up so we're gonna drop the single before the tour so we can play a new song let me know i'll keep my eyes peeled (laughs) yeah man i'll send you uh i'll send you a link um so you can check it out um but besides that i've been finding that 
so I got Ableton by kind of by a fluke. Um, my guitar player at the time, I used to, we used to be roommates and he had worked at guitar center and I had a Mac desktop, like, um, Mac computer and it was like in the living room. So we kind of shared it as like a, a recording machine to like track ideas and <laughs> stuff. So he would like get on it and like, you know, record some stuff, but he brought home Ableton from one of their reps, like a free, nice. um, version and installed it on my computer and he kind of started using that and I was like, Oh, this is cool. Let me check this out. And I had logic as well. I had both of them, but I started messing around with Ableton and then I just liked the colors and the way, like it was very different from like a standard, like pro tool tool style DAW. And, uh, and so I got used to using that. And so it was like kind of by accident, but then I kind of was like, oh, there's so many cool things I can do in Ableton that just make the music writing process super creative. It's awesome for that. So did you start off with just like the cell, like the matrix thing, or did you figure out that you could move to the arrangement window right away? Oh, it took a while to, took a while. <laughs> yeah, to hit tab, you know, and flip back and forth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like eventually... Um, I figured it out and I would like track, like I kind of started tracking vocals with it and I was like, Oh, you can track stuff with this too. And then, okay. And then fast forward a couple, a couple years and, or I guess till where I'm at now or with our last album, mm-hmm. really the like stupid mode got turned on when I realized that I could um, play with MIDI, like a, like a guitar and I could take my guitar players riffs and turn them into MIDI, drag them into Ableton, put a, uh, like a DI simulator kind of thing yeah. called Odin. And then I would put a VST like guitar simulator on it or amp sim. And then I was like, I can program riffs. Yep. And I, and I got really <laughs> good at using the pencil tool and oh, I would nice. just like create these crazy riffs um, and program drums to it. Cause I had superior drummer. And so I like literally opened up a whole nother Pandora's box of, <laughs> of being able to write music. Cause I had always like st- struggled in the technical stuff. We're like a technical metal band. And since I'd been singing for the last 10 years, like mm-hmm. I haven't been playing guitar. So if I want to write some riffs, they're going to be like mediocre beginner level riffs. And we have a certain standard that like doesn't have to be hard, but like we've got a certain, you know, like level of technicality, Nice. But this was like, I could take in, I could take like guitar profiles, drag them in as MIDI and stretch them out and move them around. Awesome. And then there's a button you can click on the keyboard for Ableton where it'll just take away all the notes that you're not using. Oh yeah. It would like subtract everything and just leave the notes that are the programmed ones from the guitar profile. Right. And then literally I could just delete them all and then start programming stuff. And it all sounded like it would all fit. It's like the riff. <laughs> it, yeah. There's so many different things you can do. So, the software is so sophisticated these days that you, it, the possibilities are endless. It's awesome. So it sounds like that, um, just changing your, um, production habits alone was something that just keeps inspiring your creativity. Uh, what about some just in daily life? Are there any habits or routine changes you've made that impacted your music or productivity outside of, outside of music production? Yes. Um, a few. One is the, just the idea of a morning routine. 
Yes. And it's something I like strike out on more days than I get it right. But when <laughs> I do, I feel su- like a super human and I have like a really great day and I feel like I get a lot more done. And that just, it could like my morning routine is like usually like take a walk, um, maybe meditate for a little bit, journal, mm-hmm. um, any of these kind of activities, um, help set your day up for like success and so that's been a big one. Um, podcasts. Yeah. Uh, I listen to an unhealthy amount of podcasts. <laughs> like I listen to more podcasts than I listen to music. For me, that used to be the case um, when I was working at Costco for a while because I would I I was so busy doing physical work, but my mind would wander and I I couldn't really like take notes. I couldn't really like pop out my phone and just hop on a voice recorder and like dictate myself ideas so i just pop in one ear and listen to podcasts and i i consumed an unholy amount and that's where i ran into some other ones that became good sources of like life coach information and that's like ed mylett you know the max out podcast i think i've talked to you about him before um and they they kind of i I noticed a trend for all the ones that i listen to the greats and all the guys that are the most successful or gals too. um, the life coach school podcast with Brooke Castillo is another one. They all have this as well, where they recommend a morning routine and even a night routine. Um, I'm definitely with you on that. It's definitely very tough to stay very regimented, but one thing these they recommend is yeah. Having either meditation or just time to like be with yourself in the morning not be, ex, you know, just consuming external stimulus, you know, no news, no social media, that kind of stuff. Let Don't that check your emails right when you wake up. Exactly. <laughs> For me, it's YouTube. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but yeah, that those those things, along with you mentioned um, vision building. Uh, so sitting down and actually um, spending time putting together whatever plans you have, if that's short-term, mid-term, long-term, just kind of like en- envisioning yourself in the future, but putting it on paper or doing whatever you can to like get it external from you, that also helps because that helps your brain go to work on trying to like make it happen. Like it's going to connect the dots for you. And it's not that you're like, oh, I have to go seek these answers. You're going to ask yourself some really tough questions in the morning and your brain's going to go try to answer it. No, it's the opposite. Your brain is trying to go to work asking yourself those questions and it keeps it bubble. It keeps it in the forefront more often than not. So throughout the day, you're going to start paying attention to the things, the opportunities that come up. Whereas you probably were passing them up left and right before because it wasn't at the front of your, it wasn't your frontal cortex. It wasn't there in your conscious mind for you to seize that opportunity. You pass right by it and you wouldn't even know it. Ed Milet calls it the, um, uh, the blue Honda effect. <laughs> so imagine you bought, you know, you just bought this brand new blue Honda and now everywhere you look on the freeway and you're even in your neighbor's yards, you see this blue Honda everywhere. Well, they didn't just like go all out and follow you and buy the same thing at the same time. Chances are they've had that car for years. You just didn't notice it because you weren't thinking about it, but now it's special to you. It's important to you. So it's on your mind and you start to become aware of your surroundings. You see it everywhere popping up. And that's, um, I forget the term they use, but it's basically that filter between your unconscious mind and your conscious mind. And when you can do the work and you have to do the work very first thing in the morning, 
or even at the end of the night to prepare yourself for the next morning, you're training your brain to go to work, keeping those things that are important to you in your conscious mind so that you can seize the opportunity the next day. Yeah, absolutely. Like those, those things, like if you just listen, you know, if you're, if, if the word success and, and business, like make you cringe, then you should get over that because like those, like you want to figure out what those people are doing. And I, you know, I read, think of grow rich and I've, I've gone down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, rich dad, poor many, dad. Many times. And, you know, I'm like, it, that was years ago. I'm still, you know, still into that same stuff. I still think mm-hmm. it's, it's even more relevant now. And like, like you said, vision building, having a vision map, kind of projecting your, what do you want your life to be like? Like, cause if you don't do it, then like, you're kind of just going to wander, you know, around. Like <laughs> if you don't have a, you're like a ship floating in the Harbor with just like kind of hitting the rims of the never really getting out of it. I think the other team too is I've, I've definitely been this way for a good majority of my life. And it's that pivot for me that I started to see this and become aware of it. But it, it wasn't necessarily that you feel like you're this wandering, you know, wandering ship that's just aimless. Uh, but rather it just feels like there's all these external factors. The environment's just kind of in control of me and I have to constantly like push back just to get my way and I never would get my way. So if that's you. If you're listening to this podcast and you're like, you know, I'm constantly just dealt this bad hand or I need this or that, I, it's, it's the victim mentality and you have to learn how to shut that off. And it takes a lot of work to overcome, but it, what it really needs is you to retrain your brain. Your train of thought has to change and it start, it, it's never going to get fixed by anybody else, but you, you just have to put in the work and the time to do it. So yeah, that was pretty much it. I love that we, you know, kind of talked about your daily habits, routine changes. Um, I know with both the modern musician and the MPA are growing and shifting, evolving faster than they have ever before. Uh, where do you see the music industry heading in the next five to ten years? What uh, is there anything that you have witnessed within the last couple of years that might tip you off into thinking maybe it's heading this way or that way? It's kind of hard to predict. It's changing so rapidly that it's kind of like, who knows what it's going to be like in five or 10 years, because it's like hard to have that like foresight when the change is like exponential. Um, but I do see, I, I like, I see a lot of new technologies kind of emerging and I see like hybrid shows now, you know, now that like home entertainment experiences are, you know, like, kind of more common now, like with the the streaming of live concerts that we mm-hmm. all kind of witnessed with COVID and stuff. Um, I think there's going to be a blend where, you know, people from Japan can tune into your show in San Francisco and, you know, get the bet, get good audio and they can buy tickets for it. And I think that's a huge opportunity. Definitely. There's never been more, uh, more platforms than now that are offering these kind of services too. And that's, that's an amazing time to also allow the creator directly to be in control of like, Hey, we can charge for this event. We can, we can do ticket sales or we can do uh streaming royalties. We can have all that kind of stuff on demand through the internet. And that's amazing for me. I think it's definitely going to be technology focused. If we look at every major pivot point throughout history, it's usually technology focused CD killed vinyl, um, you know, or, or even uh, tape for, for those of you who remember that for a brief decade. 
um, you know, that every time that something new has shifted public, you know, perception of it right now, it's streaming, but who knows what's going to come next. And we're looking for that new experience and somebody somewhere is going to be willing to, t- to pilot that new endeavor. I know a couple of people are working on some AR VR stuff that sound really incredible. Um, and we've already seen like some really cool, like special events, like Fortnite's hosted like a live, uh, concert. Yep. And then, um, I've seen a couple like disciples hosted several like live jams inside of Minecraft servers and stuff. And they're getting really clever, but it's all the, I think the ones that are doing it well, they're looking at how to serve the fans where they're at. And if disciple just happens to have a lot of huge Minecraft fans, it makes total sense because those servers were popping off. Like they were just, they were maxed out at capacity for the number of, you know, concurrent players that could be, um, you know, connected at the same time. So as far as technology goes, I, th- I think this definitely going to be there, but I also think there could be some very interesting things if we're smart about how we play our politics. Cause we look at how technology is constantly shifted with like, okay, now, now streaming completely eradicated digital downloads, like Apple removed iTunes. Like there's no the iTunes store isn't even there anymore. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of like, well, we're not going to offer MP3s anymore because streaming is the big thing. And now you still have the, the Apple store for like digital content, but they kind of folded MP3s and they've, they started offloading a massive amount of storage that it, all these archive tunes that aren't doing any sales. And then you've even seen uh, the announcement for um, Beatport. It was either last year or the year before that said they are going to start a brand new program where any um, particular products that have not sold within a 12-month period. I, don't, I figured if it was like a 12-month rolling period based on when it was uploaded or if it's just within the annual like fiscal year. If they have zero sales, they will be removed from their store. So there, because it just, it makes sense. Like you're spending all this money on infrastructure to roll out, to have people put stuff up for sale. But if you're not generating sales, you're just eating up storage space, you're wasting resources. So we're starting to see the limits of, you know, like, Hey, how far, you know, how infinite is the cloud? And it's not that infinite. (laughs) I think that we're going to have to start seeing something that's going to be there enriching the experience for people or drives sales in a way that have never been driven before, even, even beyond what streaming is capable of, but who knows what that's going to be. Yeah. I also think like, cause the artist has never really had a great deal of cards, right? Like (laughs) nowadays, like you don't need a, a label to put out, like you can self release and then you can also have like, there's platforms like Patreon and you can, you know, have like membership sites and stuff. And I think there's going to be more of that where the, the artist is like, can make a living. I can think that's going to come around more and more ways to monetize, like mm-hmm. as an independent artist and things are just going to get better. Um, I think they're already there now. Like that, as far as that living, if we were to put a number on that, I think a lot of people agree on, at least within the US, 60,000 a year is a livable salary. And that's where that thousand true fans model kind of came out of is like, hey, if you broke it down at a thousand members, the people who are hardcore about you said, hey, here's $5 a month. Well, that's 60 grand a year. There's your salary. Now, what you do after that to go beyond that threshold is 
you really have to start differentiating yourself as a competitor in the market. But now you've kind of, to get to that point, you've understood what it takes to build a business. So from there, you've got the mindset now to at least know, okay, here's where my value is. This is how I'm serving these thousand people. And that's, that's the tough lesson to learn. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I, I think, uh, online education is like, you can just see it happening already, just regardless of the industry. Mm-hmm. But I think online education is going to be massive. Like it's projected to be like, I don't know, like three, $5 billion industry or something like that. Or I don't know the exact number, but it's yeah. pretty massive. I think even life coaching has passed that up already. And there's even now there are actual industry certifications for life coaches. And that's just like, hey, we realize that our education system is completely broken. If people in society were going through the assembly line that is like the public schooling system and everybody's having to work these day jobs, we're kind of left behind with like, okay, well, how do we come together as a culture and become more civilized? And we're missing these aspects of, you know, being a basic human being. How do we improve on that? Well, life coaching has kind of like started to fill that gap and people are realizing oh, wow, this stuff is actually helping. It's improving our lives. So it's exploded everywhere. <laughs> and I think the music industry is definitely ripe for that. We need it right now. Agreed. Uh, is there anything about the music industry currently that you dislike or feel that needs to change? Not really. I just kind of can see the silver lining in things. And I like I you can kind of choose your own adventure now. <laughs> you know, there's obviously like, equality disparities and stuff and like the the music industry is way more like a male like there's way more male than female in it Mm -hmm. and you know i'm not sure the exact solution for that but it is something that could probably be improved upon i definitely see that in the engineering uh fields like as far as like studio artists you know studio um engineers um Mastering engineers, I know quite a few prominent mastering engineers that are women, but it's also few and far between. Like there are so few. And then usually the great ones, like after they've reached their their you know potential where they've actually started to get recognition for it publicly and now they have a name for themselves, they've already had to go through a crap ton of trial and tribulation and probably some personal things that, you know, like unfortunately, you know, sexism is still a thing, even in the U S <laughs> I know I've heard, I've heard worse stories from engineers in China, um, in Japan. I have a buddy that has traveled to Japan and talked to several, you know, studio owners out there and they've had women engineers there. And there's been crazy stories that he's told me about that kind of stuff, but it's, it's still a thing and we have to figure out how to overcome it. But I think it's just one foot forward at a time. Like you said, I don't know any better way to say it. <laughs> Yeah. Other than that, you know, I don't know. I can, I think things are just going to only get better because things are moving so rapidly and they're changing and they've been really bad for like forever. And so like, it really, like, how could it get worse than how it was (laughs) back in the day? Yeah. I used to say it, that the, uh, the floodgates are open. The gatekeepers have lost control of the keys. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, awesome, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and chatting with me today. Um, before we leave, is there any uh, things you'd like to get off your chest or you want to talk about that maybe we didn't get a chance to talk about? 
there was one one idea and one thing that I feel like for anybody listening to this um, could that super helped me is is project management and getting organized. Yes, that's the other thing that I've been. I work on it every day, and I try to get better at it. And um, so, like, like dealing with your ideas, like when an idea populates in your mind, like how do you hold on to it, and then how do you like move it through different stages to either be like discarded because it like wasn't that good or moved into an implement implementation stage and then like how do you remember it and then how do you prioritize like you know like w- one thing that michael walker told or showed me early on which, which is super simple but like super impactful is like you know you've got a to-do list like take and circle the top mo- three most important things and then circ- and then out of that put a star next to the most important thing and now that you've identified the actual needle mover like do that one thing and that was more important than doing everything else on the list but that one thing yep that's that's gold right there that's awesome how how granular in in your um life how how granular do you get with with that are you the type that like I'll budget my time for the day. So I make sure I have at least two hours to do this task. Or is it something where, you know what, that's on my goal for today. I'll make sure at some point I get it done. It's more. Yeah. It's like, I'll, I'll identify like the most important thing. And then I'll, I'll usually, if I have like the time in the day, I can all like budget time for it. Like if it's a super important thing, but a lot of the times it's just like with everything I got going on, I'll like, I'll, I'll just like get it done some way or another, <laughs> but like as you, far right as like you. managing, I think like tools like Asana or Monday.com, different project organization softwares can those, that was a game changer for me. Just like having the links that I need when I need them and being able to find certain like things yeah. and organize my ideas. And are you using, are you using one right now? Which one are you using? Uh, so for myself, I use Asana. Okay. It's free. Have you ever used that one? I have not, but I, I've been meaning to check that stuff out. I'm still old school. I use Office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you use. I mean, they, like some people just use Google calendars mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a pen and pad, you know, and I do I do like kind of a mixture of different things. Like I've got a pen and pad that I, I like to write down certain things and cross them off and kind of like know, okay, well, once I identify the most important thing, I'm going to write it down. So that I can have the pleasure of crossing it off at the end of there the day. There it is. There's the reward. It, it, there's a reward built in that that get the feeling you get from crossing it off. And I, I think everybody just needs to find their own like mechanism. Like you said, it it totally depends on the person. Some people might got might not get that feeling of recognition for themselves when they cross it off the paper, but there might be another system that works for them. You just kind of have to learn yourself and 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 find what helps you get into the stride where, Hey, I can set these tasks for myself or at least know what, what's important to me. And I I make sure that I'm getting the work done that leads to that goal. And I think that's awesome. If, as long as you're, you've got the goal identified and you chip away at it each day and you, you set deadlines and you, you kind of manage your, your projects in some way, then you're going to be able to get stuff done. Exactly. And like you got to get stuff done because like, you know, like that's what this whole industry is about is like just like doing stuff. Like yeah. you can't just be like, oh, man, I'm 
look how good I am at guitar. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to keep shredding and like never write a song or something or, <laughs> you know. Yep. They say the saying is what doesn't get measured cannot grow. Exactly. That's so, yeah. That's something go. we go way into that with, with modern musician. We've got specific spreadsheets and we crunch the numbers so you can identify like every bottleneck in your system and we get really granular with it and that's stuff that i never thought i'd get excited about that i like (laughs) really get excited about (laughs) (laughs) it reminds me of the the two guys on the chris uh chris graham and and um brian hood on the six figure podcast they're (laughs) they're both talking about spreadsheets and how their love for spreadsheets (laughs) never thought i'd hear that but hey (laughs) <laughs> it works. Yeah. No, they're 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 good. I still I'm not as spreadsheet literate as some people. Me either. <laughs> we we kind of set people up with, you know, all the formulas and stuff and nice. so you don't even need to know how to use it, like or how to use a spreadsheet. You just need to know how to type in numbers. Yeah. You just need to know how to fill it in. <laughs> fill it in, exactly. <laughs> it does the formula for you. Well, that's awesome, man. Sweet. Yeah. So um we're going to send you off tonight, but before we do, I just want to make sure everybody can know where we can find you at, both you or Archaic or Modern Musician, everything you'd like to leave um, in the show notes. I will leave those links in the show notes after the uh, below the episode, but feel free to plug away whatever you'd like. Archaic, www.archaicband.com is our official website. We've got a merch store. Um, if you go to go.archaicband.com, then you can join our private Facebook group, our like community. That's where we're like, we interact the most with like our fans and drop like exclusive stuff and kind of love on, on that group the most. Cause they're like the, the most, um, diehard. So if you want to join that, you can go to go.archaicband.com and then, um, check out modern musician. So that's www.modern-musician.com and you can learn about the company and, and check out the team and all the free resources we have and check out the podcast too, modern musician podcast. I love those. I love that podcast too. He's, he's got some gold on there. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we just, uh, we're almost on 50 episodes and, um, we've been getting a lot of good feedback and stuff. So we just try to like get straight to the value with those ones. Awesome. Cool. Well, you have a good night and to everybody out there, Stay tuned, and uh, until next time, happy productions. See ya. All right, brother. Have a good night. All right, so thank you for staying to the end of this podcast. I really hope you found some of the things that we talked about helpful. Uh, I know we've both dropped some nuggets in there. I appreciate Jared so much for coming on the podcast and just catching up with me and sharing all his experiences with us. But also to Michael Walker for introducing him to Modern Musician because I think it sounds like that has definitely changed Jared's life for the better. And not only that, he is helping other musicians and artists in the same way. So kudos to you, brother. I really appreciate all you're doing for everybody out there and uh, keeping the brand that is archaic alive. That that to me it has a special place in my heart because i know we've gone back i i love the music video we got to work on together but more importantly i got to connect with you over something that has been a staple in my life i've always listened to you know metal and your stuff out there is still some of the best that i listen to so i can't wait to hear what you guys are dropping next and uh 
to everybody else out there listening, what you're hearing in the background, I usually share everybody's music that is interviewed on the podcast. So here you go. And as always, I really want to invite you guys to email me directly podcast at modernproducersecrets.com and let us know how these episodes are helping you guys. Whatever topics you'd like to see covered in the future, or maybe there's somebody you'd like us to interview. Having that kind of feedback really helps this become better than just me talking to a microphone. I want to help somebody out there. So let us know how we're doing. Finally, this podcast is brought to you by the Music Producers Alliance. The Music Producers Alliance is the premier online community and professional development platform that provides learning resources, networking opportunities, and mentoring to producers and composers at all skill levels and backgrounds. Our mission is to help music creators turn their passion into a profitable profession. Visit musicproducersalliance.com or find the link in the show notes to get started.